This is MuggleCast, your Harry Potter and Fantastic Beasts podcast covering everything about J.K. Rowling's Wizarding World. Welcome to MuggleCast episode 299. Let me repeat that. 299. 299. We are approaching our 300th episode, which is crazy. Selena is back. Welcome, Selena. Thanks, Andrew. I'm back to Good ruin time. everything, clearly. <laughs> no, no. It's great to have you on. I think this is the first time you're on since actually seeing Chris Child. I think you're right. Oh, yeah. my God. I have so many thoughts. I know. I Perfect. The, <laughs> the new the new voice of reason. Selena. Yay. I'm very excited to be the voice of reason. I don't and think a- I'll do a very good job, but I'll do my best. And, of course, Eric and Micah are here. Hey, guys. Hey. Hey. Eric was nerding out at Wizard World Chicago this weekend. That's right. Uh, you guys, I met the smoking man. Oh, Who was wow. that? From X- that X-Files? X-Files? Yeah, oh, X-Files. Cool. Yeah, or, or Lost. You know, you can you can choose. I don't know. Uh, I just assume Eric's <laughs> always talking about Lost. Were uh, you wearing your cloak at the convention? You know, uh, I will today, as a matter of fact. Oh, okay. Going to go oh, around, okay. yeah. Um, Excellent. Are you podcasting the, live from the convention I, right now you know i'm not uh, i'm podcasting from my living room i wanted to make sure that there was as much of a controlled environment for sound as possible this time <laughs> why uh you know just a good practice in general um yeah right mike selected and all that stuff but i, I don't like know maybe the, uh professionalism eric I'm, thank I'm you very thank you micah it's like, 300 episodes and finally getting it together finally getting it together yeah good for you appreciate it <laughs> And what's the temperature today in Chicago? Oh, like, you know, it's a balmy 71. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, there, there was a huge rainstorm. It dropped the temperature like 20 degrees, so it's really okay. enjoyable. That's So that's good cloak weather. That's why I asked. Mm. Oh, I, yeah. I was wondering if you'd be sweating your, Plus, your somethings off. The conventions, my somethings, the conventions are always very air-conditioned. So Excellent. Well, this is our big Cursed Child Part 2 episode. Last Two weeks ago, we did part one, mm-hmm. and now we're going to wrap up the story, the eighth story, with our discussion on part two. Lots to talk about in this one. Uh, but first, I actually just wanted to start with an email from Matthew, one of our supporters on Patreon. He just responded to our Cursed Child part one discussion. Um, he said that he, too, had many problems with the story, but he, but I wanted to focus on one part that you guys discussed, specifically the security in Hermione's office. Yes, it seemed rather outrageous that the puzzles in the bookcase were able to be solved by a pair of teenagers. However, I think it's important to recall that at the end of book one, certain 11-year-olds were able to foil the traps and puzzles set by some of the greatest witches and wizards at Hogwarts. Not saying that that isn't a little far-fetched either, but from a plot perspective, I don't feel like you can forgive one scenario and not the other. But isn't that exactly why Hermione should have known better? Yes, it is. Thank Thank you, Selena. Thank you. Maybe, see, Selena is the voice of reason. (laughs) On our side, apparently. No, I, <laughs> Sorry, I, guys. Th- that would be my response, is that they should have learned from what they were themselves able to do, as Matthew points out, in their first year. So you would think the security would be even stronger, even better than what was the case at the end of, of Philosopher's Stone. So, yeah. uh, sorry, Matt. But it's yeah, clearly you, like a tone callback, though. Like, they did it to uh, echo yeah. the first book. So it's right. fine, but it's not fine that Hermione, the Minister of Magic, would think this is a good idea. And on stage, it's a very fun scene because mm-hmm. they get sucked into the bookcase and they get spit back out. 
It's one of my favorites on stage, actually. Yeah, it I believe that. Well. That seems to be a recurring thing as I'm going through parts uh, or part two, acts three and four again, uh, just seeing how much stuff that like would clearly be really cool to see um, on stage yeah. as much as I might disagree with why it's happening. It's kind oh, of yeah. like a slap in the face. It's like, oh, yeah, this would be really cool if... But it shouldn't, it shouldn't happen. You almost hate yourself for like being like, oh, I would enjoy seeing that. Hmm. Well, it, it's not only, and just to go back to the email for a second, the, the the way that they're able to break into the office and to you know, get the time turner. What bothered me was just the fact that they were able to get into the ministry, much like Harry, Ron, and Hermione do in the books. You would think that in all the years, right, since mm-hmm. they this took place— there'd be something that would be, have been put in place to prevent against people posing as others to get in to the ministry, right? You're talking about the ministry here. Oh, yeah. Or or Hogwarts, you know, especially after all of the, the battling and all of the death that took place, the fallen 50, everybody who died in the war, uh, you know, in their honor, find a way to, to make better security there's a point in i think it's part three delphi's like oh man hogwarts has really lacked security doesn't it huh and i was just like (laughs) you suck you should die but also you shouldn't be allowed to just walk onto the grounds and you know it's a big question for me it's one Mm -hmm. of the biggest problems that i have ruminating is this issue of security in the future wizarding world there's a case to be made that they got lax and careless because they forgot you know, they There's forgot, no like... There's no threats anymore. Yeah, like, the kids who grew up never knowing Voldemort, sure. But these are the adults who fought in the first and... Well, probably first, possibly first, and definitely second Wizarding World Wars. Better yourself, you know? Get 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 the right skills that you need to actually hold these positions of government that you have. Uh, and, you know, make the place more secure. Come on. I mean, oh, you know, you know, just relate to real life, though. Like, do we really get smarter? This is a whole other discussion. I'd like to believe we do. I don't. Yeah, no, I, don't I do, do not. Have That's you seen the current cynical. political situation in this country? You think mm-hmm. we've gotten smarter? So now so I'm the only one not being cynical right now. <laughs> <laughs> so let let this let the record anyway, show two hundred ninety nine. Let let the record show. Maybe that's another discussion for millennial or, or maybe. a separate podcast. We don't want to go that direction. But yeah. Um, no, it's it's a good point that that Matthew um, raises. There is the the, the comparison to uh, what Harry, Ron, and Hermione did in their first year, but yeah. I think it ends there because we're seeing it through a completely different lens, and maybe that's because we're older and and we see things differently than we did when we read, you know, Sorcerer's Stone. Perhaps if we read them more as adults, we would have said, "Well, why is the security so lax in Hogwarts that you can just." <laughs> wander into the uh, forbidden area that you're not supposed to be in and, and use cheesy, easy spells to uh, get through locked doors. So Yeah, but Dumbledore wanted them to, though, didn't he? Yeah, he did. So it was kind of a different situation. Mm, we'll talk about him Let's... later, too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes, we will. <laughs> a couple more pieces of feedback from MuggleCast.com. You may know that our new website now boasts a comment section for Ooh. each episode. Oh, my. Yeah. EB writes, yeah, I know, how, how, how modern, right? Like, I know. Comments. <laughs> Next, forums. You would think that in this day and age, we would have other means for people to contact us, but no. Yeah. <laughs> no, we, you can contact us in a bunch of ways. Um, anyway, EB writes, in line with the relationship between Harry and Albus, this period in his life, early adolescence, 12 plus, is when the children and parents have their most difficult struggles. So I can't assume that Harry never knew his son. His son is just beginning a new stage of life. 
Also, rebellious children don't try to rewrite history, but Albus's father was not a regular person. He's the most famous wizard alive, and what he wants to do something, and what he and Albus wants to do something comparable. It's one of the rules of parenthood. Don't speak in anger. Take a break because you say things that you don't really mean. Harry is echoing what his son Albus had just said when he says he sometimes wishes he weren't his father. And that was that was in response to our discussion at that particular point. Um, a lot of people were shocked by Harry saying to Albus, I wish you weren't my son in light of Harry losing his own parents. How could he say such a thing? But uh, that's a good point. And as I brought up on the last episode, yes, parents and their children do get in very heated fights, including the one I, I mentioned with, with my mother. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah and, I, and I thought this is maybe the voice of reason part. I definitely in that particular uh, quandary, like I fall on the side that this was a good choice just because it added some. I mean, it added some realism to the thing and to Harry not being a perfect person or a perfect father. And he does make mistakes like everyone else. And it's hard to say because it played so well on stage that it definitely impacts our understanding of it as opposed to just reading it flat out on the page. Like Harry says these words. But for me, it was a it was an it, it was in character in a in a bad way, but it worked, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Uh, let's see. We got some other feedback here. No, I, I didn't think any of... They're kind of long, so I didn't want to read it, but um, yeah, we'll, we, we'll move on. We do appreciate mm-hmm. always uh, feedback responses for Cursed Child. I get a lot on Twitter as well for my opinions, and it's great to have these kinds of discussions and to have these kinds of uh, dialogues about these characters. This book is not going away. This play, this script uh, is going to be with us for a long time. And Thanks for the reminder. Much as I would like it, nobody's going to jump beh- out from behind mm-hmm. the curtains and say, just kidding. Um, so the more right. that we discuss Are you sure about things, that? I, I'm losing the definitive big script Fools edition. Joke. The definitive script edition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, where it takes place entirely in 2019. Yes. And one thing no time I would just add, though, and I know you can't control how people respond, but, you know, we're just four people with opinions, you know, and, and we're certainly interested in what you have to say. But do do it in a in a nice way. Respond in a nice way if it's possible, because I think some of the things that I've seen are just really outlandish in terms of claims and opinions, um, more so directed at us than the actual story itself. So that's all. That's I'll say. the internet for you. Yeah. I know we've only been Let's, doing this for eleven years. Well, so. and my, well, my my whole point was to like the more we talk about it, the more okay with this we hope to become. Uh, you know, the more we talk out these issues, we'll find common grounds inevitably, and we'll dislike this play less. For those of like us who all just traumas. Like <laughs> oh, jeez, traumas or I'm dramas? I'm kidding. Tra- traumas, mm. not dramas. So uh, forget it. Then, then don't be nice. Just be constructive. Based on what Eric mm. just said. Thank you. There you go. So, quick Patreon update before we get into our Cursed Child Part Two discussion. Our patrons helped us unlock Mega Mugglecast. Mega Mugglecast. I don't know what and that just was. In time Godzilla came to <laughs> episode three hundred. So on our next episode, slated for early September, we'll be bringing back a bunch of old hosts for a big celebration to celebrate 300 episodes. And I mean, that doesn't even include the mini muggle casts and the the leaky mugs and all these others. So we're kind of well over 300, but this is our 300th core episode, I guess you could say, main show episode. Mm -hmm. 
and it's it's pretty exciting. So everybody gets to look forward to that in early September. Thank you, and congrats to our patrons for hitting that milestone. Yeah, exactly. Thank you so much. So let's move on to the Cursed Child Part Two. Boom. And hmm? what? Oh. I said I said boom. Oh, okay. <laughs> So, as we all may remember, we left off at the end of part one with Scorpius and Albus really screwing things up to the point where Albus wasn't even alive. Voldemort Day! Voldemort Day, question mark. Voldemort and Valor to (laughs) y'all. For Voldemort and Valor. It was so big that it it took over the merchandise tables at at the Cursed Child at the Palace Theater. So, it was a big deal. Now, Andrew and, and Selena both, I guess, I can ask. The question, were you seeing the play because it was in preview in the same day? So no, you were coming no. back later two or you had to days. wait? We had to wait one, like two whole days because there was like yeah. on a Tuesday and a Thursday, I think. Right. Um, so it was Which, a long time to process everything and make theories about part two that didn't come true. <laughs> yeah. But unfortunately, I the, I think I've talked about this before. The part one cliffhanger didn't feel like a cliffhanger to me because no. things had become so undone in the wizarding world that it was it was obvious that everything was going to get fixed again. That was one of the biggest <laughs> spoilers to come out of part one that did not come from Hyperwood, by the way, um, but was that Harry died. And they, they were like, that was the, the spoiler that was sort of making the rounds to people that wanted spoilers. But it was so, uh. it felt so cheap because it was obvious that he wasn't dead because, like, first of all, it was part one, so clearly there was a whole other part where he wasn't just going to be dead. But also, there was time travel involved, and right. everything else was different. Like, there was never a question that this would uh, be done. But I, I think it's kind of exciting that the box of worms gets opened up right at the very end, and then there's the curtain, oh, I right? definitely you- agree. I mean, it's it's cool to end on that, like in an entirely different world. I think it was just because. It felt like pacing wise that this was just yet another alternate reality that they were going to have to undo. And because both Harry and Albus were gone, we were all like, well, this can't last very long because it's literally just Scorpius. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it, I think I mentioned this on a, a prior podcast, too, is that it at least when reading it, it reminded me a lot of uh, Deathly Hallows part one when mm-hmm. Voldemort gets the Elder Wand and, you know, that's oh, the yeah. end of part one and you're kind of left in this cliffhanger, but you know that things are going to turn out okay in the end. So yeah. I, I'm wondering if that, it seems like it was a similar sort of experience on yeah. your end. Yeah, it really was. But you know, to be honest, what really bummed me out, especially about part two, and, and it is sort of like, because we had all that time to make up our own theories and thoughts, and expectations, me and uh, and Kyle from, from Hypable, we were convinced that in part two, like Rose was finally gonna have her day (laughs) and she was gonna still be around and she and Scorpius were gonna fix everything because we've talked I mean I'm sure you guys have talked about like Scorpius a lot and stuff and at that point I was like they're not gonna do it It, there's no way they're actually gonna be that awesome so it's fine they're gonna go with Scorpius (laughs) and Rose that's totally I was totally okay with that and I was like it's okay because she's gonna get to be a hero and save the day (laughs) and they're gonna bond and that didn't happen (laughs) right so it's like because you're in your head I'm sure you're probably trying to reconstruct this idea of a new trio yeah because uh, i was like rose... she's not in the play at all i was like where the hell is she she has yeah. to have a moment at some point that validates like you know that she was in all the main promo pictures and that she's like the new main character and that she's hermione's daughter and all that stuff so that would yeah. would have been the perfect time mm-hmm. but it didn't happen well, i was super disappointed for the rest of the play you just had to wait till the the very very end 
Selena. Oh, yeah, got, she gets to go on a date. Moment. I mean, what's she complaining about? <laughs> <laughs> That's what all girls want. Uh, well, yeah. Well, yeah. you know what happens to well, Hermione when she doesn't get a date. She becomes, an, she becomes an evil Snape-like potions professor. <laughs> yeah, that, I, I was cracking oh, up boy. about that last week. Or it's sorry, kind of D-A-D. implying that Hermione needs a man to be happy. Yeah. It was D-A-D-A. I said potions. I'm sorry. It's okay. You're That's good. fine. So, so, uh, so in this alternate reality at the beginning of Act 3, uh, we're focused on Scorpius because he's the only one left, and he's a talented Quidditch player, unlike his father. Yes. And I found... I found this interesting because I'm actually rereading um, Chamber of Secrets right now. And I recently got past that scene where uh, Lucius buys, Lucius buys the the brooms for the team mm-hmm. so Draco could play with them. Um, so I thought that was interesting. He's kind of the opposite of his father. And with Umbridge at the helm, they're torturing Mudbloods, which was apparently the idea of Scorpius, who's known as the Scorpion king oh my god like, do you smell the, what scorpius is cooking <laughs> and yeah, again getting say. back again getting back to chamber of secrets draco as a boy would have loved this because he's talking about how he doesn't want uh mudbloods at the okay, school but do you think i mean let's be real scorpius in any reality would enjoy having kids tortured in the dungeon like, it's just, it's such an absurd, like, on the stage, too, yeah. you could hear the screams of the kids. And it's like, yeah. no, there's no, there's no way, not, not Draco either, I don't think, would, like, relish in, in that kind of reality. So you're it like just saying, seems so weird. Even how yeah. Snape in this reality is, like, secretly good the whole time because he didn't change, you think it's, like, just too much of a stretch for Scorpius and Dra- Draco to be that way? Yeah, yes. I and think, I know, I think like, the is... whole thing, go on. Mm. I think it is the one thing that the play does not go out of their way to explain, right? Everything else, every crazy preposterous plot, like why Amos Diggory uh, did what he did, why um, oh, Cedric the other turned one? evil. C- Cedric <laughs> turned evil, exactly. Why no, Why Voldemort's still alive because of Cedric turning. Like Everything was like given some sort of weird explanation, uh, whether you like it or not, but but not the Scorpius being evil bit. Right. I think I it's just fine. Like It's just like because he grew up differently. Like right. the, taking the whole thing aside of if the entire reality was different, there's no way that Draco and Astoria would have conceived the exact same child at the exact same time. Like even taking that out of it, you could say, okay, well, he grew up to be a psychopath, and this is his life if he was a psychopath. But yeah, it I, I, just I, I, seems well, also strange. the the world that he lives in is much different, right? With Voldemort yeah. in power, so I think that that could have some level of influence on him, especially growing up, knowing that he is the son of or i guess grandson of of somebody who was a prominent death eater in voldemort's inner circle but even later on i thought we learned more about lucius and and you know, i i found it interesting that really uh there was a part of him that uh would have preferred a world without voldemort mm. and that yeah. that gets mentioned later on when draco is talking with harry in in harry's office but yeah. Those are the those are the types of moments that I liked to read in in this story and things that seemed like they were in fact coming from J.K. Rowling because there's definite parts uh, that that don't seem like they're coming from her and I know mm. uh, we've we've touched on that you can you can tell uh, and, and, and you know I'm just even the last uh, episode that we did when 
we were talking about the uh, the trolley lady and how we had hoped that that was something that J.K. Rowling had written in and not something that was that was added by you know John Tiffany or Jack Thorne. So I just uh, those types of moments as as a reader and somebody who's enjoyed the series over the years, uh, you know, are, are moments that I can appreciate. Uh, but I, it it's still just overall that this whole story it you know even in talking with with friends and uh, that have read this you know they they they're sure that it translates into this amazing story um you know on stage but outside of it it just seems like a really bad piece of fan fiction well yeah we've, that's kind of the recurring trend here. yeah let's let's not um, tread back into that but I'm could sorry. i, could I say one more thing about <laughs> i was just looking for selena's thought <laughs> Well, I think I yeah, I mean I I I agree. Um but I was just going to say one thing about this this world that I find really sketchy. Like real actually when you think about it, this is a very very interesting alternate take on what the premise of the Harry Potter could have been where you mm. all of these mudbloods be, or I'm sorry, all of these muggleborns, Jesus. Wow, jeez. Selena, come on. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm gonna call um, you Selena's the Scorpion King. Muggleborns. This is the alternate Queen. reality, Selena. Um, being tortured in the dungeon. They have all been sent to Hogwarts by parents who presumably <laughs> have no idea and think that this is like this really nice school of oh, magic. Yeah. So imagine a world where the premise of Hogwarts is just a setup to get kids to be tortured. In a dungeon. Like, how terrifying. They, like, have to trick them and take them to Diagon Alley and stuff. And then they get on the train and it's like... I'm so excited. This is so great. Oh, God. To what end? The lady is totally normal and And not creepy secretly. And they take them to Hogwarts just to torture them instead of just not allowing them to go to Hogwarts. This is is very clearly meant to be... And I think at one point Scorpius calls it, what, like, hell, right? Like, the hell... This is the hellscape. Yeah, the hell dimension. The narrative purpose of this is to show like the absolute cave. worst consequence that you could possibly think yeah. of like messing yeah. with time this is the and back this is to not the future. realistic <laughs> this is the back to the future too of right. of of the play uh yeah. where you just go into this thing and yeah this will be the ultimately the most flawed because it's played for emotion you're supposed to be shocked you're supposed to be odd uh you know sort of into just accepting that this is terrible and they're going to try and fix it or alternate idea, they are the, the this was a newish thing, torturing the mudbloods. Could be right because what was Scorpius's because idea? Could, because how could right? Because how could this not get out at the school or beyond the school? And then how could parents send their kids there knowing that this would happen? So but they didn't know. You know, that's the scary horror part of the They didn't story. know, but inevitably it, they would at some point it would have or to they, get out. They were forced. I mean, for hmm. don't forget the uh, world true. that they're living in. I mean they they probably have limited control. I'm interested yeah. to know the impact that all of this going on would have on our world because we saw the crossover, right? A lot of it in Half Blood Prince. Yeah. Who knows what what's going on in our world that sort of mimics what's Kids happening? Kids are just being tortured and right. disappear and I, never come home. And- I will say the most interesting thing for me uh, in this hell world is the role of the augury, um, because at this point in the play we do not know who or what that is. It's purposefully revealed much later. Um, but like the umbrage uh, in the beginning scene quotes uh, the augury. She says, 
to Scorpius about changing his future, about, you know, not being so darn weird all of a sudden. She says, like the augury insists, the future is ours to make. And I was thinking, this is a great quote for somebody who just, like, successfully affected, you know, time travel that brought this world upon us all. The augury in this world is like a time lord or time master, clearly. Um, yeah. Well, it's, like, it's Delphi. Yeah, but Delphi, oh, like, okay. in this reality. Like, Delphi in this reality maybe still used time travel to bring about Voldemort's success. Like, the... the the Delphi that we're seeing because like Delphi in um, during part one, uh, we mentioned this last week, Selena, it like the, the creatures that are all on the move, like the giants and everything have augury tattoos on the back of them. Oh, so yeah, Del- of course, yeah. Delphi was totally yeah, like Del- re- yeah. recruiting uh, mm-hmm. in the real world before she approached like Albus and Scorpius, which is really weird because it doesn't get paid off. But, like, Delphi is a force for evil in the current world, and she's causing things to happen that just never really come up in the play. So, um, I I wanted to ask you guys what you think the Scorpion King is exactly, because we never know, we never learn what, how this role came to be. Was it just dreamed up between, is it basically being Umbridge's understudy? Because Umbridge mentions that they work together, um, or, or implies that they work together. So I'm wondering what exactly it is. Is it just to come up with all these... He he seems to be some sort of leader in the school. Is he in charge of just treating the mudbloods like crap? Yes. <laughs> I guess I, I guess it's, that kind of makes sense. Like, they, they sort of pick children from wizards with prominent families and they give them power to keep them, to keep them sort of sated in a way. Yeah. Right. Okay. That that's that's what I took away from it, and I think that it was reminiscent of when Draco and Crab and Goyle were all part of Umbridge's Inquisitorial Squad. In mm. yeah. So yeah, and uh, in in, it's, in this world, the government, having been overthrown clearly by Voldemort, uh, would be tighter linked to Hogwarts. So like, you have Scorpius, whose dad is a Ministry official, has the same job that Harry has, uh, in the real timeline. And is just you know uh, a deputy of some of sorts, um, yeah, for both the government and for Umbridge, who's ruling. Okay, so Scorpius is very confused by everything that's going on, but he learns from Snape how this all came to be, how he ended up being the Scorpion King, and how uh, Voldemort Day and Voldemort and Valor, all this. So he learns from Snape, who's still alive, which was pretty surprising. Uh, that Cedric was so humiliated due to Albus and Scorpi- uh, uh, Scorpius's yeah twist in the second task that he became a Death Eater after killing Longbottom. As so anyone Nev- would. <laughs> so, right. So Neville's death meant that Nagini didn't die, thus Voldemort won the battle. So a lot of people had a problem with this, with Cedric becoming a Death Eater. It just doesn't seem in his character, does it? Because he becomes a vampire, right? <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. This is the wrong path for him. No, I mean, you're right. That's the whole, the thing that bothers peop- a lot of people about this play is how easily it does away with things that mattered so much in the original series. One of them is the rules of time travel, and another one is this. Cedric was such a symbol. And I think it's not so mm. much that he could be, because co- in a way, I like the idea that the symbol of hope in our reality could become so corrupted and a force of evil in the other reality, but I just think it's it's too easy, it's it's too convenient, it's too much 
like the rest of this alternate world, it's just too cheap to feel yeah. like it has impact. Like the idea of Cedric being corrupted in itself is a pretty good idea if the play was about, well, I was going to say about Cedric, it kind of was. <laughs> but you well, know what I mean? Like it just yeah, feels... Yeah, yeah. The idea that nobody's safe. The the idea yeah. that 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 no nobody's that pure of heart that can withstand the temptations of the Dark Lord, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's a prime example of that. But it's it's almost like a catchphrase. It's almost thrown out there like a, just to 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 gnaw on it until the next line of dialogue distracts the audience from from the whole situation. Also, right. these kids know an impossible amount about Harry's life. Um, which I can already see the angry tweets I'll get. No, they don't. Clearly there were books all about it, but like the idea about yeah. the Horcruxes and knowing that Nagini had to die in order for Voldemort to die, that Scorpius knows this, which is weird. It's right. not Alba saying this. I don't like, think it's weird at all. I think because Scorpius is very well read. That's established multiple mm, times throughout this yeah. book. It's a big, He's the Hermione. It's a big part of when they go back in time to Godric's Hollow, right? He... He has yeah. so much knowledge about Harry's family as he's talking about the statue and other things like that that Albus has absolutely no clue about. So when you talk about a Mary Sue, though, you talk about an impossibly <laughs> gifted, smart character who is, you know, really knows more and does more than he should be allowed to or, or do. I like well, that Scorpius. was Hermione as well. I like Scorpius in this play a whole heck of a lot. He's a great character, but it's mm -hmm. awfully convenient for them to put them <laughs> In in these situations that are so preposterous and have Scorpius, <laughs> well, that's be able why it's level-headed getting him out. Yeah, that's I my guess. one defense. But I wanted to ask a question in terms of how this all translated onto the stage, because to me, just saying that Cedric was so humiliated, right? Yeah. What was so humiliating that would drive you to the point of becoming evil, becoming a Death Eater? Because from what we know of of, of Cedric's character that that wasn't who he was and 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 that's why i think it's probably difficult for a lot of people to uh you know really be Get okay on board with this yeah, yeah. It, the, well the problem is Swallow they used it, they used year four too uh which is what they shouldn't have done because in year four the goblet of fire this completely omniscient uh sort of you know it, it, character this judge of character uh picked cedric as the champion for hogwarts right like this seems to be the last kid who would ever become a death eater he he I, because i don't think those two are necessarily like mutually exclusive but i think goblet of fire in general does so much to establish cedric as the kind of character who wouldn't He's you know, there. be so humiliated from riding naked on a purple broom or whatever the hell that he would with kill feathers him coming button. out his like, butt, it just doesn't, whatever it was. Right, like it just doesn't seem like a a, a thing that that would happen. <laughs> on stage, I it just moves so fast that you don't even really have time to think about it. I don't. It was think... one of those things where I was like, "What?" <laughs> yeah, and and like, Cedric. It's not like they dwell on Cedric, so you can't really even see his humiliation mm -hmm. at all. So no. I think that. Okay. If they did, maybe that would have it would have played better. But yeah, yeah they it's don't. one of those things they ask you to accept as fact, yeah. and it's not like yep. you can't sit here and be like, yeah, you know, it's nice to see that even nice people can be corrupted, blah blah blah. But it's still like you hear it on stage, you read it in the script, you're like, um, why? Like, wait, hold on. And and that's what you have to do for really reading this whole book. You just yeah. got to suspend your disbelief. <laughs> right. Oh well, forget those speaking... other seven books. <laughs> right. I, I well, do have another and... question though. Uh, okay. Because we, we see Scorpius spending so much time, in at least in this act, at Hogwarts. How is it that he never happened across his, himself in, in all of this, right? He never once comes across himself? 
Well, no, he, he is, is himself. himself. Yeah, he's not time traveling. Well, isn't he's it in the present the day. Future, but the future has changed. The way the way that right. that works isn't oh, okay. like the him. Presumably, the only way that would work is if the him of the present time period also got a hold of a time turner at the same exact time and is currently in the past. Is that right? Because that's no. how it seems to me the first two times. Yeah, right? They because... changed. They they changed time. They mm-hmm. went back and changed time. Then they came back to reality to to present day. Mm-hmm. And what we're seeing in part two when it starts off is present day. So things were changed yeah. in the past. They're now in present day. So whatever, okay. whatever, like whatever the year problem it is. with that, which is such a fundamental problem with doing a story like this is that that you have to assume that in the future you go forward to a time where you look exactly the same you are the same person like they did it wasn't like i said like score uh, draco and astoria would have had to have made a baby at the exact same time to get the exact same result he would have had to be exactly as tall uh, be exactly as thin or yeah or that's not a great point thin. and like you know to you know could have been scorpia yeah he could have been scorpia <laughs> um but like albus didn't exist but scorpius was still exactly the same but the world around him had changed which is a little bit yeah hard to swallow in stories like that but well, he's and, not and exactly the, the same, though. I mean, he's the Scorpion King, and he's a great Quidditch player. So there's mm-hmm. there's things that are different. But he about looks him. the same, you know. Mm-hmm. Like he he doesn't feel different. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Yeah, some when, some do look different. Though. Hermione books, was noticeably noticeably different, and when when she was altered, when she didn't have Ron in her life, <laughs> <laughs> she was sad. <laughs> Still laugh at that. Uh, okay, yeah. so. Moving along here, uh, I will say, and I, I know we've been critiquing the past few minutes, the one character that did not work for me in the play was mm-hmm. Snape, because Alan Rickman did such a fantastic job of bringing that character to life, that the Snape in this play did not have the same voice, and that really killed it for me. It was very different. and He was just a guy. Like, he was yeah. just an old, sad guy. Uh. Yeah, he didn't have... He didn't have a certain tone or anything. I don't like think every this other is character, fair. McGonagall, Dumbledore, all these others. Fair. But Snape, I, I guess it just speaks to how great Alan Rickman was. But it just didn't work for me. I just think I, I've seen some criticism about uh, Snape in this play. The character, though, not the actor. I can't say anything about the actor. I didn't see the play. Um, but this uh, mm-hmm. this idea that it's really the play is very Snape apologetic. Um, J.K. Rowling leaves Snape in such a very uh, important kind of in-between position. People are still yeah. to this day talking about it at conventions about whether he was good or evil. And and this play just continues to, to show that, oh, he's he's a great guy after all, right? He, he hears this story, he listens to Scorpius, and he's just like, oh yeah, and I've been leader of this resistance. Once I realized that I couldn't save Lily, I began to devote myself to the cause, and you know what? I may have even believed in it. Silly me. And he's just, he's chiding uh, Ron, he's going against, like, making these snide little remarks, and it's played for comedy. And he's just like... Oh man, he was a nice guy after all. Like I kind of like where they left Snape in the end, like tragic, flawed, but not this, you know, source for humor where cuz he can like it's like it's finally okay to make make uh light of or it's finally fun to laugh at with Snape when he's making fun of somebody. And I'm like, ah, I don't know how I yeah. feel about that." The fact that Snape is friends with Hermione and Ron just does not ring true to me in any reality. And that's actually one thing that was really fun. Like, 
really weird on stage. I, I don't think Andrew read it the same way I did, but definitely some of the other people from Hyperbole who went and saw it, the interactions between Hermione and Snape were like too familiar. <laughs> like they weird. got too close to each other. Well, you know, they, they, just, they, they got just, right up in each other's faces. Could it be that the play Very... just the play just made Hermione an almost Snape-like character in the previous timeline? Hmm, Don't you think there's something there? Mm. I don't know. I mean, there's also some stuff like for the Dramini shippers. I'm thinking. I mean, to be honest, it, <laughs> I I read it as though they were in a relationship, and I have been told that that what? is very wrong. But I, the way they acted with each other on stage, the close, like the the intimacy between the two actors in those scenes, just threw me completely. You were a off. moderately acceptable wizard. Like you were just, and she was like. And she was like inches from his face, and I was like, "Are they gonna kiss?" Look, these are, these are people who have who have probably fifteen years together in this hole underneath the Wampa yeah. Yellow. They could be. No, I I'm mean... not saying. I'm trying to make the opposite case. Like they just oh, okay. work in close proximity. They have these uh -huh. ideals, but there's so few of them. Uh, I don't know. He, I mean, he's sticking around them for a reason. I, um, she's uh, what? This is oh, this is I can't tolerate this. This is bad. Well, no, you know what? I'm just saying it looks. <laughs> she's really the voice of reason, yeah, and <laughs> that reason. Um, and I'm and I and I just I was really thrown off by it, and I thought it was really inappropriate. But um, I'm just wondering huh. if they changed their interactions in later um, performances, or if it really is that they are that intimate with each other. Mm. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I wanted to just go back to one thing, Andrew, that you said uh, about Snape, because for me, what the, the biggest thing is you're you're seeing a character brought back to life who, as you said, was was killed very tragically in the books, and that's not the case for some of these other characters, right? Dumbledore still is remaining in a portrait; he's not back living and breathing in any scenes, yeah. at least that I can recall. No. McGonagall survived. So to see her alive is not as big of a shock. So but when you bring somebody back like Snape as you know as important as he was and as as you know tragic and flawed of a character, some people loved him, some people didn't love him. I just think that you know that that's where people have the problem. You mentioned Alan Rickman obviously. So I just think the fact that you're bringing back such a major character that was killed off and you're trying to give him life again mm -hmm. in this mm -hmm. way, it just comes across as being not easily digestible. And mm -hmm. and so that's where I can understand where a lot of people would have problems with it. Yeah, yeah and it just didn't feel like Snape. I mean, I think that's kind of a main recurring yeah. thing. It just, it yeah. just felt, yeah, wrong. So moving along here, Snape resists believing Scorpius that there's an alternate reality where, where Voldemort lost and Harry won and Harry's still alive, of course, until Scorpius tells him he knows about Lily and about only Dumbledore knowing of Snape's love for Lily. And this moves Snape uh, because he realizes, well, shit, how else can he know this unless it's true that there is this alternate reality? Right. So Snape brings Scorpius to what what is it called? The committee room or something like that? it's described in the script script book is that and the campaign room that's it and ron and hermione are there and it turns out that these three have still been fighting the good fight but there's not much left of dumbledore's army and and so in the scene I've, i'm just wondering what have ron and hermione been up to because ron's described as having uh spiky hair and hermione is described as looking like disheveled and 
just like well, isn't poor it, i think isn't it said they're tickling the nose hairs of anyone who gets near that's exactly what ron has been doing <laughs> like yeah I, the well, campaign. so like are, so he hermione's hermione's not a teacher in this reality right uh no oh. she's but i like that she's like she's known as granger which is like a muggle name and she's using it to to like get back and fight the fight um it says in the book her clothes faded her eyes blazing she's full warrior now and it rather suits her. Yeah. But we don't yeah, learn Snape like what. <laughs> Come Snape on, the full warrior. I'm kidding. <laughs> wow, I didn't think this end episode would end up with a, a Snape Hermione ship going on. I Jeez. know. Well, I didn't think that when I was going into the play. Snermione, uh, would that be their ship name? Snermione? I don't know. <laughs> Hermape? I don't know. Definitely. <laughs> Sounds like um, a disease. It just okay. So, so we're talking about this though. I'm reading this scene on page 184 too, where it's like uh, Scorpius tells well, Hermione says, "To be clear, in this other world, before you meddled." And Scorpius says, "Voldemort is dead, killed in the Battle of Hogwarts. Harry is head of magical law enforcement. You're minister for magic." And she says, "I'm minister for magic." And Ron says, "Brilliant. What do I do?" And he's like, "You run Weezy's Wizard Weezes." And she's like, "Okay, so she's minister for magic, and I run a joke shop." <laughs> but then like and then it's like where's snape and all this and snape just like i'm dead and he knows it and he knows that it all leads to this and all of a sudden he's just like how and scorpius says yeah. bravely and he says who and he says voldemort it's just like the way that scorpius and snape are playing off each other it's too game timey to me where it's like okay we're gonna get this mm. done fact convey all the communication how does this happen and scorpius is intuitive he knows exactly what's like all snape says is how and then Scorpius knows it's, oh, yeah, your death. You did this, this happened, this happened. And he's able to lay down the facts so expertly. I'm like, I'm sorry, this is a little disbelievable for me or unbelievable. Well, I, I liked it because Snape realizes, again, that he needs to sacrifice himself. Right. And I thought that was kind of beautiful. But in this timeline, they all sacrifice themselves. Like, mm. True. Yeah. But not right. before equating uh, Snape's love for Lily with Scorpius's love for Albus. Don't you yeah. need Rose? No, I mean Albus. That's Are you literally sure? what he says. That's not. Yeah, yeah not. exactly. <laughs> yeah, and actually, it's the in crazy. The the, actually, one of the crazy things here is that is that Snape and Lily are directly compared to Albus Scorpius. That's what yeah. Snape says. Mm -hmm. I mean, if that doesn't mean that Albus you and would Scorpius give up your kingdom for Albus, uh, right? Like I would for Lily or something like that. If that doesn't mean that those two are supposed to be together, I don't know what the hell does. <laughs> well, fair enough. So anyway, things get a little messy when Umbridge sees what's going on and Hermione realizes she has to let the Dementors come for her because they're moving in. And there's a lot of uh, pleasing of the Ron Hermione shippers in this scene because Hermione says, I love you, Ron, and I always have. Oh, no. Is I this a pleased. direct response to that that drama that happened a couple years ago where, Harry, or where, where J.K. Rowling said that she was rethinking Ron Hermione? Remember when I she said it was a so. way of wish this, fulfillment? This show, this play, like, got Hermione and Ron together three different ways. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. Three different times. Yeah. Because then so later, Ron so. wants to marry Hermione again. Yeah. <laughs> wants to renew the vows. Yeah, because he admits he was drunk 
the first time. <laughs> and oh, you know, we were supposed to talk about this later, but I'll I'll just say it now. I, I'm surprised that the Ron Hermione marriage scene wasn't actually in the play, because I think people would have loved to have seen it. Oh, that. if it ended with a wedding. Oh, no. Yeah. And then Hugo yeah. can show up and be the ring bearer. <laughs> right. <laughs> Who? Hugo? Who? Hugo. Who? <laughs> uh. So then, yeah, and this and this was another great scene in the play. Ron and her, so Ron says, "Oh well, I'll I'll let the Dementors come for me too." Um, and then they both get sucked up, and they both get lifted from the stage and go up into the rafters, which was pretty beautiful as the the, yeah. the Dementors pulled them up. The Dementors were amazing. Yeah, they were very wispy and large. Mm. And and then Snape says farewell to Scorpius, and in another beautiful moment, he says to tell Albus. He's proud that he carries his name. <laughs> see, I love this play for moments like that. Like these characters. You're supposed to, to love this play for moments the- like that. That's exactly what's supposed to happen. <laughs> Hashtag fan service. Yeah. No, I think yeah. it's. I-, I think this was fan service, to be honest with you. I just like the idea of Snape knowing that that. Harry decided to name his son after him. I think that's beautiful. Snape knowing that he dies for a purpose too in both universes. That you know, his yeah. Death. He says even even he makes light of. It. He's like, I, I suppose it's uh, honorable to get dispatched by the Dark Lord himself. You know, he gets it, which is which is cool. You you really expect a character like Snape to be able to put things, including his own life, in perspective that way. So then, in present day, the family finds out everything. So Harry, Ron, Hermione. Draco, they find everything out, uh, and things are fixed now. Except Scorpius Except... lies. <laughs> oh, about the time turner. About the time yeah. turner. He's like, oh, I dropped it. It's the bottom of the lake. I don't know. I don't yeah. Know well, and I think his lie. I think it was okay in theory because he wanted to, to destroy it himself. I think that's okay, but of course that plan backfires because then Delphi catches up to them in the Allery because Albus. Although he doesn't know it at the time, he stupidly invites yeah. her to come along Here, here's, for the destroying ceremony. Here, here's the thing. And yeah, it's true that Scorpius does not plan on Albus emailing, sorry, Owling Delphi. Um, I can't <laughs> yes. I can't keep my facts straight here. Uh, owling Delphi and telling her. But and, and, and the, the excuse that he gives is, you know, these ministry people kept the time turner when they should have destroyed it once. Can you really trust them to, to have it again? But there's totally a scene where McGonagall and I think it's even Draco, uh, but it might not be. They're in McGonagall's office and again talking about the time turner. It's just like, you know, I bet with McGonagall there in the room, if, if, uh, Scorpius had said, look, I have it, but I just don't trust you. If you don't destroy it, why don't you destroy it right now? Then they would destroy it. Like I think that I think that McGonagall would pressure them to destroy it then and there, and Scorpius should be sort of vindicated in his suspicions. Furthermore, it doesn't take a whole lot to destroy a time turner. Delphi sort of crushes it. I don't know if it's in her hand that she just crushes it or steps on it with her like high heeled uh, boot. I, I don't know what's going on here, but she just sort of crushes it. It doesn't take much. So I don't kind of this is this is something that was it was a decision that was made to deliberately drive the plot into yet another uh timeline to have a third or a fourth or a fifth leg to it like it's mm-hmm. such a stupid action for scorpius to, yeah, to lie for sure um but i also think i mean in this scene i remember sort of i think that the, the crux of it too was that albus wanted Delphi there because he had a crush on her and scorpius didn't yeah. want her there because he was like jealous 
like legitimately jealous yeah. <laughs> um, for friendship or other reasons. Um, so I think that was sort of a, a thing of, you're right. I mean, it definitely was a thing of getting all three of them together to have a, a scene for the big reveal. Like, let's go to the Allery and destroy this because she's an augury. So it's bird theme, you know, like that's what it was. But um, I just wanted to say as well, this was the point of where I like at once cheered and also got really mad because like for having watched the play and not having obviously had time to read spoilers before or anything like that, we were all like saying if if Delphi is not evil, then she is literally the biggest Mary Sue of all time and we hate her. <laughs> so she turned out to be evil, which was like a bit of vindication. But then immediately after finding out the whole Voldemort daughter thing, I was like, I wish she had just been a Mary Sue. Well, and, 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 there's, and there's parts of this story where even the character's dialogue, like again, back to the scene with McGonagall real quickly. She's, she says to Hermione, uh, of all the stupid things, which is what Harry says to, uh, Albus when Albus, uh, is, is angry about the blanket. Um, and I'm just like, and, he's, and she says, this is when she found out that the time turn is still around. She says, and in a bookcase, you kept it in a bookcase. It's almost laughable. I read that line in the script coming from McGonagall to Hermione and I say, but it's not laughable. I'm not laughing. This is mm-hmm. like the part where the, the writers are just like, we're going to have a character criticize some of the plot elements of this play right. so that we can all agree that it's a little weird and a little offbeat and won't it be so much more fun and won't we be more okay with it? I was McGonagall is too. my favorite character uh, in this <laughs> for that Same. very reason. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I, I just think that you're right, Eric. She She's drawing out the absurdity in some of this. Yeah, she keeps so. it real for sure. But like that almost works to make it easier to stomach. Right, like when you're watching the play, when you're reading, you know, to think about, yeah. It. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so then, so then, Albus and Scorpius, they finally learn the truth about Delphi because her cloak as, slips loose or whatever. Right, right. Well, yeah, on stage, I think like it was kind of obvious to to, to us too that she was wearing something slightly different, and then she turns around and you see the wing on her back, and Scorpius sees it at the same time, and yeah, so that all comes to life there, and then. And then Delphi, I guess she she hears about this whole humiliation thing and how it screwed everything up. And she goes, hmm, interesting. So she decides that they're going to go to the Quidditch pitch to humiliate Cedric again during the third task to get everything screwed up again. So that, in theory, Cedric will become a Death Eater again. And then Voldemort will rule because Nagini wasn't killed, blah, 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 blah. Um, yeah. And then we come upon the one death in the play. Because Craig comes in, I think, at some point around here. Who? Craig. Who? Craig. Craig! <laughs> Not Rip Craig. Craig. favorite character. Not Craig. <laughs> yeah, that th- this... The cursed this... child. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, truly. This kind of bothered me because it was the one death in the play, and, and it basically wasn't a death at all because... We didn't know this character. It was so much like Cedric. Like it was such. It was too similar. Like it really bothered me how out of their way they went to make him a a new spare. You know, like. But it was, but it was to show just how brutal Delphi is, right? Yeah, it was. It was, but it was such an obvious. Like that's why they did it. Thing that it bothered me. It's interesting though. Andrew, though, I would argue that everybody dies in this play. <laughs> like, yeah, Ron well, dies, Hermione point. dies, Harry dies, Albus dies, Snape dies. But none of it counts because it's dies. all in, except Craig. In, 
<laughs> Craig counts. Yeah. And maybe the right, owl Craig that counts. was flying at the beginning of the play. Oh, <laughs> yeah. no, he just got fired. He didn't get... You know. The cursed uh, owl. Harry Potter and the cursed owl. Delphi has yep. this line when they find her out, and she says, um, you're far easier to control than Amos. Children, particularly male children, are so naturally pliant, aren't they? Uh, and I thought that was actually a little bit... Um, interesting uh to hear because it, it kind of evokes the themes of like dumbledore manipulating harry all those years i thought it was sort of a profound quote coming from the villain um yeah to know what you guys thought of it that's true yeah yeah particularly and then male another children. i wonder why that is like i don't know well probably for her because she can charm them oh uh, yeah because they're all straight and stuff so <laughs> with her Audrey <laughs> tramp stamp <laughs> And then another moment similar to Snape um, finding out about Albus Severus uh, in the maze, Albus makes sure to tell Cedric that his dad loved him, which I thought was really sweet because that was, again, making sure things are settled in the past. And this in the way, in a way, is the best Albus can do at this point. Like he knows he can't alternate time, but at least he can tell Cedric he can let his dad Cedric let Cedric know that his dad loved him. And Cedric does not understand why he's saying this at all. He's like, uh, okay, thanks. And then he moves on with his fight in the maze. But I just thought that was another beautiful moment. And I thought, I'm, I'm mm. happy Albus did that. I hated that moment. Why? I thought it was. Well, because now we're coming to the point. I should have been on part one because I loved so much that happened in that. But I, it was coming <laughs> to the point where it just, everything to do with the time turner, everything to do with rehashing the Cedric plot just really bothered me because it was such a thing that should have been left in the past for me. And it was okay to have Cedric as this kind of ideal person like Neville. We never saw Neville and, and that was like, that was upsetting, but it was okay. But then this was just Ugh, like why Neville did we have a... to end with him and, and Albus and Cedric getting to, like, Cedric was so much the, like, what Albus saw himself as and just having that big, I guess they needed the confrontation, but I just, it was so on the nose. And having mm. him run around, like, why Cedric? It just brought home how, how pointless mm. or how weird and, and it, that was to me. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. And, and, I think too, like now you start to get into the territory which you really have to suspend some level of belief. I know we had um, one of our listeners, Miranda, write in about just the security surrounding um, this particular task of the Triwizard mm. Tournament. You know, the fact that you had Moody on the outside and really just the overall, you know, the feeling, the, the sense of something was really off about the Triwizard Tournament to begin with because, of course, Harry's name comes out of the goblet of fire so that would lead to would intense think scrutiny that you know now you've had three times over two children the first two times and now three children come back in time and try and influence the outcome of these events and so uh it, it's weird that this is being written after the fact because you can't in your own mind sort of go back to goblet of fire as you're rereading through it identify moments where you think these events could actually transpire. And so that's where as, as a reader and, and to have to, according to JK Rowling, accept it as Canon is a little bit difficult, at least for me to do. Yeah, me too. 
I just I just don't buy that Ron got sloshed with Neville in the Hogsmeade Tavern and upon walking back saw Albus walking with that his, was a his old girlfriend to the Owlery and they were standing right. on the roof and he thought, Oh, kids will be kids. Good thing right. my lo- good thing my love potion set in. What does Ron exactly think that Albus and Scorpius are doing with the girl on the roof of the Owlery that his love Threesome. potion was successful? What? Threesome. Well, I did. That was a major stretch. Um, That's the entire. Like, what are reason. the chances that they're at Hogsmeade and then happen to walk by the Hogwarts Allery? And that's like, exactly how. Which is high up. That's exactly how they know that they're in the past again later on, like in a moment. It's it's so weird. Like, why anybody thought that could work? That that would be okay to write in this play? I don't get it. And then at the end of Act Three, we learn that Voldemort had a daughter. This is arguably the biggest shocker no. coming out. <laughs> Coming out of the play, uh, that is canon now. I mean, some people are refusing to accept it as canon, and that's fine. But that uh, that Voldemort had a daughter, and that is Delphi. And it, we find out in Act Four that it was Bellatrix that he mm-hmm. did it with, or mm-hmm. something, or something. <laughs> yeah. Why? Why? Why, why did you do that to Rodolphus? Why? <laughs> why? Like bring in. Such a cliche to Harry Potter. I thought it was better than this, you know? It I was think kind we of... needed... There is another Skywalker yeah. moment, you know? Exactly. Like... <laughs> exactly. I was thinking about this this morning or yesterday. It, it does... It's Star Wars-y. Yeah. It's too much. It's too much like something we've seen before. It's too much like a cliche. Like, I'm sorry. I hold Harry Potter to higher standards than that. Like, there's, there's just something interesting about the character of Delphi that I would like to get more of. But I think even this play doesn't really contain all the cool parts of her character. Like, again... She's so one-dimensional. Well, the idea that she's actually secretly rallying these creatures for, like, an eventual rebirth of Voldemort, the reason that Harry's in the the present, Harry's scar hurts again, all this stuff is actually kind of cool. And I want to know more about who exactly raised her. The fact that Rodolphus comes out of Azkaban and tells her that there's this prophecy or something. Uh, You know, I, I I don't get how all these pieces fit together... It's there's probably some form of interesting story behind there, but it's not how like how did she learn to fly? Like that's just something that's like this would be cool to perform on stage. Uh, only one other wizard. This isn't the movies. This is the books. Only one other wizard could fly without a broom. It was Voldemort, and unless Voldemort himself taught her, how did she learn this stuff? Like I really just so much genetic yeah. unanswered. If I I, I want to care about Delphi, like mm. part of me wants to forget she ever existed. The other part wants to like actually the play to well, follow through on all of its BS. You might want to forget yeah. her existence, but yeah. uh, DH fan on Twitter actually asked a really good question, mm-hmm. uh, which was, would Draco or his parents know if Bellatrix spent a few months pregnant, especially since Delphi was born at Malfoy Manor? So the fact that nobody else knows that she existed is a little strange, or that Bellatrix because she didn't. was pregnant. Like, let's get real. This <laughs> no, I, was not well, a thing. Look, we solved this at uh, at the Leaky Mug, uh, Cursed Child Leaky Mug at uh, um, GeekyCon uh, the other day. It's an undetectable extension charm placed on Bellatrix's womb, and mm. you know you can never tell she'd be pregnant the whole time, and you'd never know. Well, yeah, and then she's just yeah. So Bellatrix didn't, may have been in hiding. Um, didn't Hermione Polyjuice into her, like, when she was pregnant? Th- that's I, another I, thing. I don't think that would work. And then she would have been pregnant. I don't think that would work. That's how that works. 
What do you mean? Yeah. What? Oh, you're saying like if you polyjuiced while pregnant. We're talking about when you polyjuice into a person the way they look at the time when you apologize. But that's another person. The baby's another person. Now we're getting into abortion, right? In magic, but. Uh, well, the, I don't know. The baby's but, another person, so it wouldn't be. Yeah, uh, but she would be her body. Would, I don't know. It doesn't matter. Anyway, I think it's fine, but I just feel like this is another thing, like time travel and going back and rehashing Goblet of Fire, that I wish a new Harry Potter story would have been confident enough in its new characters and in its existing characters that it didn't have to rehash everything that had already happened and continue Voldemort's story with this made-up fake Voldemort. Thank you, Selena. I com- I agree with you one hundred thousand. And that's like where times. the disappointment comes in, you yeah. know. Uh, yep. Okay. Well, so moving on here. I mean, there was this prophecy. I don't really want to get into the prophecy stuff. I kind of hated the prophecy stuff. Well, oh, really? That's why you don't want to get into. <laughs> what What do you, What do you want to say, Micah? No, uh, just the fact that yet again we're dealing with with another prophecy in the Harry Potter world, and you know it, it comes into play later because you know Scorpius is is quick to tell her Delphi that in fact you know there there's different ways of interpreting prophecies, or you don't you don't truly have to believe in what they say, uh, and and you know that encourages her to really go back in time to Godric's Hollow and to try and and prevent Voldemort from from killing Harry. In, in the sense that she believes that uh, if she stops that from happening, she can basically rewrite the course of of history. And and so I just thought, you know, the, the way that Harry and Ron and Hermione and Draco are able to uh, go and, and uncover this this prophecy and then eventually the truth uh, inside of uh, inside of her room is like it's very like criminal minds, uh, CSI. <laughs> wizarding world uh you know it's just i don't know it, it, the prophecy was on the wall is that you know it was like written in blood i, I mean I'm no what she blood. wrote on the blood was that she was going to return her father didn't the prophecy come out of some sort of pot or uh they unscrewed the top of a of a bottle it was kept in or something like it was, was like a lamp on a the wall or something. The, but who that. gave the prophecy? That's that's a question. Well, who I gave the prophecy? Too. And also, why didn't the Ministry of Magic see? This is something that we know that they have in place uh, a, a department of prophecy, which every time a prophecy is made, magically it gets copied and transferred and put on a shelf uh, in the Department of Mysteries for somebody to read, study. Uh, you know, this would would have thrown up some red flags. It very specifically uses the term Dark Lord. Uh, and says, we'll return. And if anybody's working in that department at the Ministry of Magic, they deserve to be fired for not immediately alerting uh, the, minister, the then Minister for Magic for what was clearly a prophecy made about Voldemort coming back. Uh, like, there's no, there's no way a, prophe- a real prophecy could exist without the Ministry knowing about it. It was probably in all that paperwork that Harry never... Right, yeah. It's like, God, <laughs> yeah, I sent must you... have been. Dear Mr. Yeah. Potter, per our previous attempts at contacting you, uh, <laughs> there's this prophecy you might want to come down and check out. Yeah. Well, this this act opens up very much... Uh, we, we talked about this. This is this, you know, McGonagall getting really angry at Hermione and, and others for the fact that the time-turners were not... Uh, in fact, destroyed. Uh, so she has she has her moment, and I know we're all very much in agreement uh, with her. But then, you know, we're transported all the way back to 1981, um, 
in Godric's Hollow, and and so this this plan starts to be formulated by both. Well, really, it's Albus who who starts to think through, and and quite honestly, I don't know what you all thought of this, but the blanket, right? It's it's <laughs> such a stretch. It's such a stretch. Yeah, I agree the magic, with you. the magic and the potions and the burning, and Bethilda has potions to do it too. She leaves and, her door unlocked, and you can get in. Right. I, I, I don't know. And all Harry of, keeps the blanket with him. All like, of it. That's not anything well, we ever saw before. Okay, all of it together might be a, might be like construed as being a stretch, but I think there are there are little hints here and there in the play. Like if the play had been less, or had been about less things, you would have seen these other like Cluins more. Uh, more clearly, like Polly Chapman asking Scorpius to the blood ball. The blood ball clearly takes place on Halloween. Uh, and, and so that's to indicate that in present day, it's getting closer to Halloween, which is when Harry mm. holds the blanket close to him and cries a little bit. So I know, like that though. Yeah. I like that Harry wants to be with it every Me too. Me too. I like that a lot. It's the closest thing right up until the point where they have Harry physically witness his parents' death from down on the street corner. Uh, the blanket is, and they should never have done that. The The blanket is the closest thing that Harry has. And I, I think I, I I like the blanket. Oh, but they died right behind me, though, guys. Oh, they, they did? They were standing right behind In me. In the audience? Oh, yeah. What? Right behind our row. Yeah, descri- like, no. <laughs> describe what that was, because I was up on the higher level, so I couldn't see any mm-hmm. of that happening. So you didn't see Lily yeah. and James die? No, no, we didn't see it. It was uh, it happened like the the characters were all standing at the top of the stage, looking out into the audience down because we were on the on the back in the back row and the bottom. So there was like all the stuff that happened at the top of the stage we couldn't see at all. None of the like amazing uh, Dementor stuff, but we did get to see Voldemort walk down right next to us through the middle line, Ugh, and then he disappeared so behind the back blanket. And then there were actors standing there; we could see the silhouettes of them. And they were just screaming and dying. Oh. And, <laughs> and Harry, and then, like, Ron, and Harry Hermione was looking were like at us at because they yeah. were looking at right behind us and just yeah. like emoting to us, which was a little bit weird. That and was it took me a little bit out of it, at least. But it was it was emotional for sure. That was really effective, I thought. Harry, Ron, and Hermione all staring into the audience, basically staring at the entire audience. Like you're staring back at them. You're you're all you're staring at each other yeah. and watching Harry watch his parents die that's very hard to to watch it was very it was actually like the closest i got to those tears that jk promised us oh not that not the hagrid scene the next (laughs) no (laughs) oh i cry while reading that it was not that did not work for me but you guys Mm -hmm. know my thoughts on hagrid (laughs) i I, so we kind of oh yeah Mm -hmm. i i see i see the death of lily and james like harry having to witness it as the ultimate epitome of being on the nose Right. Like, mm-hmm. like it doesn't yeah. mean anything for Harry, like until he actually sees it. I, I just don't I don't think it was necessary. Part but- of me likes it because remember when Harry Potter series was still going on, the biggest theory was there was someone else there at Deathly Hallows, you know, at uh, Goddard's Hollow yeah. the night that Harry's parents die. And, mm-hmm. and part of me liked that they went back to it and actually said, yes, they were all there. Another part of me feels like this is another sort of sacred part of Harry Potter mythology that they should not have messed with yeah. right I, I, I tend to agree with that I, I that was one of the biggest issues that i had with the story is that while i'm sure it's very powerful to watch it played out and seeing harry ron hermione watch what happens to james and lily and they're making the conscious decision to watch and to not intervene uh and to face it together 
as as you said, Selena, it's it's sort of a sacred moment within yeah. the series. It's it's you know it's how the series really starts, um, and the fact that yeah maybe somebody else was there. We knew Snape eventually. Serious um, Black shows up. Serious, yeah, Hagrid. Uh, so it it's just it it feels like you're going into territory that should be off limits. And the fact is that now you're supposed to believe in full that when this is all playing out in, in Sorcerer's Stone and mentioned in other books that, that Harry was there the whole time watching what transpired. And to me, like there's just something inherently wrong with that. It cheapens the whole thing also because uh, like a lot of the stuff, like, you know, that this was not what happened when she wrote the original series, like maybe a a few things, but, but not this. I don't think so. Well, we kind of glossed over the fact that there is a second time turner that they're using to be back in time. And Draco (laughs) had it all along that there was this crazy rumor where Draco sends his wife back in time to sleep with Voldemort. That's not true, but him having a time turner is true. Uh, you know, and, and this is too where it was mentioned about Lucius and how he preferred, or at least Draco seemed to believe that he preferred a world without Voldemort. So it gave you a little bit of a deeper insight into really Draco uh, in 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 this particular. I think it's it's Act Four, Scene Four, right when they're in Harry's office and they're just they're talking as if they're friends and they see each other as friends. And I think it's mentioned. Uh, for the first time, um, and of course, at the beginning of that chapter, there was something I wanted to talk about specifically, which was Harry's conversation with Dumbledore, mm. uh, and it was just—it seemed very off base to me. Not the—I the, the, know Harry comes across Dumbledore uh, in a portrait form earlier in 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 this play, and again, that seemed a little bit off mm. the way that they interacted with each other, but now. You know, they they uh, they end on a good note, but it's just the way that it's written. It just it does not seem to me like traditional Harry, traditional Dumbledore. And I wanted to get your thoughts on it. Uh, you know, well, Harry sarcastically says, where have you been, Dumbledore? And he says, I'm here now. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, well, I mean, putting aside the obvious, you know, breaking news, this isn't exactly penned by J.K. Rowling. Uh, I did like the scene on stage. Actually, okay. I thought it. I thought it was pretty epic to see Dumbledore and Harry back together again. And I thought I'm trying to find the exact. What what page is it? Do you have it open? It's page two fifty six. But just saying things like Professor Dumbledore in my office. I'm honored. I must be where the action is tonight. Like, well, was that sarcasm? That was, I don't know. That was sarcasm. There, there's no. There's no italics that indicated well, his being. Dumbledore sarcasm. is so popular in this day. He has so many portraits made well, of him. I think that part made sense. Because <laughs> because he said because Harry's face is passive and Harry is hurriedly going through paperwork. So I think it's assumed that he just doesn't really have time for Dumbledore at the moment. Um, but I just you know I thought it was a good conversation between these two and Dumbledore has some good things he wants to say and he starts openly sobbing right at some point. You made Dumbledore cry. There you go, cursed child. Way to go. You made Dumbledore cry. <laughs> Look what you yeah. did. <laughs> Just to get some few extra moments between Harry and Dumbledore, even though Dumbledore, yeah. as it is established, he is he is just a portrait, so it's he's not really helpful, but I thought he had some interesting sa- things to say. But I don't I don't think that there needed to be the you know, the, the conversation about love. I th- I think it was made very clear in Deathly Hallows and even, you know, Half Blood Prince probably more so that 
obviously Dumbledore cared for Harry. And, you know, that. Yes. Th- th- I feel like this is just reiteration of that. And I don't think as fans that we needed that, right? I mean, I think we know that he cared for him as a son, as a grandson, however you want to look at it. And I, I just feel like. Well, it's probably it, one of the things where it's not only made for the fans, you know, this play. And I think this is one of the reasons where it sort of gives the game away. And this story, remember, is about fathers and sons. And Harry, he didn't have a traditional father, so Dumbledore was in many ways a father figure to him. So I oh guess that I love how Harry is like, I never had a father figure. And you just see the yeah. line, like Sirius and Remus and Hagrid being all right. like, um, oh, Arthur. <laughs> Sirius more than ever, anyone. That's what jumps to mind every time I read that. That's who jumps to mind every time I read that part. Um, but yeah, so I think Harry did need a, a father a conversation with a father in this book and this is one of them i love dumbledore's thoughts on perfection perfection is beyond the reach of humankind beyond the reach of magic do you think joe wrote the dumbledore parts i think she i it it occurred to me that 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 really sounded a whole lot like more like dumbledore parts did yeah not not the whole thing but i I don't i know we don't want to spend too much time on that so you know just kind of fast forwarding because we talked a little bit about you know, the blanket. And so now, I mean, unless there's anything else to kind of touch on, I think we can go to the church itself when everybody... Saint Take Jerome's. me to the church. Oh, Take there... me to church, Micah. <laughs> there was this... I, I do want to mention the graveyard is apparently uh, very haunted. Scorpius says the, the Godric's Hollow graveyard is supposedly very haunted. And I was just thinking, what purpose does that line have in this play? Because in the Wizarding World, haunted... You know, if there are ghosts, we see them. And there's, yeah. de- there's, there, there's definitely no ghosts hanging around the graveyard that have any role in this play. I think it's just to demonstrate his knowledge. I th- you know, that that particular part of, the, of, of this play, like he's talking a lot about just things in Godric's Hollow that Albus doesn't seem to be aware of. I mentioned earlier the statue. Uh, he's just very knowledgeable, and I think right. You know, they, they've given him all the cards because Albus says, "Oh, Scorpius is like, didn't your father ever take you here?" And Albus is like, "Ah, he wanted to, but I said no." You know, it's like, "Oh, you were just a dick to your dad all your life, and that's why you've never been here." But like, it forces Scorpius to know more than he should about everything here. Scorpius is the guiding light. Scorpius is the ultimate character who's able to talk about. Uh, all of these inhabitants of Godric's Hollow and where they should go and what they should do and see. I just find it ridiculously convenient. Um, but that graveyard line about it being haunted has no purpose in this play. So I'm just going to call that out. I understand. It it displays a lack of understanding for how the wizarding world exists and it bothers you. I understand mm-hmm. that. So, so the church scene, what do we want to say about it? I thought it was nice that it was set in a church. It's kind of symbolic. Um, we did just touch on it a few minutes ago. Uh, I thought it was noble that so Delphi, I guess it is who who manages to lock all the doors uh, while Harry is trying to convince her that to get into the light so that the rest of them can move in and and they don't want to kill her, which I thought was interesting. <laughs> I think because it's a test, right? They, there's these there's these mentions of there being tests in the story between Albus and Scorpius, and something they learn is that they're not killers. I think either Ron or Hermione say that. Um, and this is this is a good reminder that these are good people who, even though they're fighting evil, they are not going to go down to their level. I liked this they're- scene so much better when it was at the end of Prisoner of Azkaban. <laughs> <laughs> and I like this scene a whole lot less now. 
Ouch. They're, they're going to put her in Azkaban, which I thought was kind of weird because there have been multiple breakouts at Azkaban. So, and then, and including then her own mother. <laughs> right, right, right. So it's like I don't know if that's the best place to put her in case it happens again. But um, I thought it was interesting. Uh, what was I going to say? I lost my train of thought. You got to leave the possibility of a sequel open. Uh, all those creatures that are on the move that aren't ever really readdressed, uh, she's just going to break out of Azkaban and pick right up. Uh, yeah, well, but there is this moment, this is what I was going to say, that, that Delphi kind of just breaks down and is like, I just wanted to see him again. And and, and Harry says, uh, you know, something about being an orphan. They an relate orphan over... What? You said you'll be an orphan forever. That'll never leave you. That's who you are. Right, Something right. Like and it, at that point, to me, it kind of it seemed like Delphi was ready to accept that she wasn't going to fight this fight anymore. But mm. I don't know. Yeah. I, I just I have know. a want to know how they really transfigured Harry into Voldemort. Something about a cloak and a hole in the floor. I think mm. um, it was hard to see. It was it was cool. I find that the transfiguration bits, like the time travel effect like i got a little bit tired of it when we'd seen it a couple of times which sounds so ingrateful or ungrateful <laughs> because I, it was it was really cool but after like seeing transfiguration because they did it a lot in this play so i was just at that point i was just like okay we get it yeah and it took oh, a yeah. long time for them to because they couldn't really get voldemort out of the cloak so i was just like mm. oh. yeah well, yeah, there was some cool stage magic going on with that and the Polyjuice Potion. I think with the Polyjuice Potion, there were two people in the cloak, cloaks, yeah. simultaneously. Because, like, yeah, their I head... the same here, right? Would, I guess so, yeah. Their head would kind of fall back and the new head would pop out. It was really well done. Yeah. I, I like also this idea that Harry has to portray Voldemort, that he's the only one who can really be good enough at it to convince her to lure her in as a trap. I thought that was crap. Ginny could have done that. Ginny has this line about the man she loves being shrouded in the man she hates. And I was like, this is just, it's an mm. interesting scenario to see played out. It's like, it was probably an idea that looked good on paper. And they're like, we got to get this into this play somehow. Um one uh, one of our listeners listening live via Patreon right now, Grace, she says, one of my fave parts of this play is that Ginny tells Albus bad people traumatized the innocent most often. I found that to be a very powerful moment that is never quite articulated in the actual play. Mm, that's true. That's a good line. Mm -hmm. I also like how in the play, like when we saw it, it was Albus actually hugged Harry at this point. He ran into Harry's arms, not Ginny's arms. I thought that was much more effective. Yeah. And, you know, rereading this, I had a greater appreciation for the father-son story overall because mm -hmm. Harry and Draco realize in Act 4 that they need to, that they've been trying to give their sons what they themselves needed to rewrite their past, not what the kids needed. So yeah. when Harry realizes this and Draco, you start seeing these moments of where they're trying to look out for their sons more. They're trying to figure out their sons' needs. Well, it's a, it's a good thing that James Potter turned this Harry's son turned out to be so good and like not <laughs> and low maintenance really because because <laughs> uh, that second kid though he's a real and Lily firecracker yeah yeah she just wants fairy wings <laughs> or augury wings. Here's that here's that line that uh, Ginny said that the listener pointed out. Uh, that's what they're good at, Albus catching innocence in their web. I I, mm. I wonder if that's trying to tie back to the Cedric Diggory plot. Yeah, I was just thinking that. Probably, um, probably. Yeah, I don't know. And uh, then at the end of the play, 
since we already talked about the murder of Harry's parents, watching that being very emotional, but the 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 play closes not with Ron and Hermione getting married, but no, with <laughs> Harry and Albus on a beautiful hill, and they're at Cedric's grave, and Harry Frickin reveals Cedric Diggory again. Why was visits. Cedric's grave? Why was Cedric buried like right off Hogwarts grounds? Mm-hmm. And well, how do say we, that? Because. Dumbledore. Well, they have impression. a graveyard. Isn't it a walk? Hogwarts, don't they? Isn't it a walk? I thought the only one to be buried on the grounds was Dumbledore, and that that was special, and that that was. I could be wrong. I thought that Hogwarts had a graveyard, but that might so be, so haunted. That might be Is totally it supposedly it very? Yeah, haunted. it's very very haunted. <laughs> no, it's supposed to be ghosts. written in. I thought right. I'm. I agree with Selena. I, I yeah. had heard at some point, J.K. Rowling. You know, prior to her finishing the series, had said that. Uh, Hogwarts does have a graveyard and I guess it was up to speculation whether or not it was going to be included uh, in the in the series obviously it wasn't but Mm -hmm. I I wonder why his father didn't you know take him home but it's not even established that Cedric's grave is at Hogwarts well well, uh, here's my misunderstanding then because Harry says we have to go for or Albus says I have to go on a walk with my father and is so I just assume they walked from Hogwarts to get there like, yeah, okay. that was my assumption that it, that Cedric was buried somewhere on the grounds. Okay, I think that that would be right for Cedric, unless his. I guess it would have been up to his father, really. Yeah. Mm. Dumbledore strong armed him. Was like, I need him as a symbol. He's the Hogwarts <laughs> champion. You have to let him yes. be buried at Hogwarts. Yeah, probably. <laughs> but I think the other nice leave. part about this is that Albus learns that Harry is kind of trying to do right. That Cedric wasn't forgotten because Harry is visiting his grave regularly. That's yeah. what we learn in this scene. So it's not like Albus. He wasn't really a spare. Right. You know, at all. Or, and he wasn't for. Right. And he still hasn't been forgotten. Mm. Just like that blanket. Just like the play will never let us forget Cedric Diggory. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the cursed child. Yeah. Can we all agree that the Malfoys won cursed child? Uh, yeah, I they think are for sure the ones that came out on top. I think, I think Rose so. One, and you what? know what? No way. She got a reprieve. She didn't have she to be lost. in most of it. She didn't Rose have to be one because she got the best <laughs> guess, best character. I was gonna say she was the cursed child because they wrote her out of the story oh. completely <laughs> to the point so, where it was ridiculous. I I agree about the Malfoys, uh, but mm-hmm. I also looked up the the. I guess there was an interview with Alfonso Cuaron. Um, around Prisoner of Azkaban about uh, a graveyard. And oh, cool. it says, um, there's a scene where Malfoy wants to see Buckbeak being executed. It's where Hermione punches him. And there's a sundial. We thought, we need something there. And I said, let's put a graveyard there. And she says, no, you oh. can't have a graveyard there. And I'm like, why? Because I'm sure that's how Alfonso would have responded. Why? She, she <laughs> says, oh, because the graveyard is near this other wing of the castle, and it's going to play an important part in number six, such and such and such. In number six? Well, Dumbledore. Oh, must be Dumbledore. Dumbledore. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, right, right. But we didn't get a lot of specifics. It isn't like the films where it's on an island um, in the middle of nowhere. No. Ikea. There's an Ikea Forget there. Forget the films. Yeah. <laughs> Forget the films. It's hard to do. Um, but I need <laughs> at J.K. Rowling. Get more information. Some people who so well, readers who who didn't see the play, which obviously it's a lot of people. You don't really get Scorpius's persona in this. Oh, Me- he's so amazing. Yeah, and and I have seen complaints that like, oh, this reads so badly because of some of Scorpius's 
dialogue, like that a quivering line. <laughs> he delivers everything exactly. perfectly. It's, like, yeah. oh my god. Yeah. He can exactly. make the worst and, and that's and that's the amazing, like sad thing about reading this play on script is that a lot of the stuff, like especially everything Scorpius says, like it's the intonation, it's the energy, mm-hmm. it's the it's the presence of him. Like Anthony Boyle, that's like one of the articles, the first articles I wrote that made us hashtag Wormtail. It was like Anthony Boyle is amazing and he just slays everything in this play. Exactly. So the Malfoys do rule. They do, and do- and 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 Draco too. Like I've described him as like being borderline fanfic Draco because he is so like so nice <laughs> and so like he he has the the upper hand yeah. like morally so much of Harry in this play. Scene one and, like, of Act flirts Four with Ginny and stuff. Yeah, scene one of Act yeah. Four. He says Hermione and Harry have done nothing wrong, but try and protect us all. If they're guilty, then I am too. And he steps forward, mm-hmm. and I'm like. Where is this coming from? But you know, I know whatever. Well, he matured, and that's fair enough. But it just—it—it's a lot of like Draco and and Scorpius are the, are, in my opinion, the ones that sort of win the, the every scene that they're. You know in. who loses? Yeah. Hugo and Neville yeah. and Teddy and and Teddy Lupin <laughs> and Sirius and all the other people. It just wasn't time. There wasn't time. Yeah. Unless we in did five hours. Three and four. See, that's that's really the thing. In five hours of produced theater. You, you, there really, there was no time to do some of this other stuff that might have been. I don't know. No. We need more time. <laughs> well, and we've said this. I, I think I've said this on the podcast before. The play moves quickly. I don't remember any moments where I was like, uh, "This is too slow. Keep it going. Let's move on." We don't. And have if time. I saw it again, I don't think I would. I would want yeah. any scene to not have been in there. So. Yeah. No, it's interesting. This, this, I mean, it essentially functions as a full production, and every it seems like every moving part that's involved in this production is like works really well as a full finished product. Yeah, yeah, it does. A couple of listener tweets here from people who follow us on Twitter, Twitter.com/slash/MuggleCast. Soprano Swag says V and B really goes against canon from the series and that he hated affection was waiting for the two slytherins to be a couple no one says <laughs> they he's mean, mean no I one agree. no one says voldemort and bellatrix made love okay nobody says that so what do you so what do you guys make of that voldemort yes he did not he wasn't one for romance but you could argue that voldemort did it was willing to do it because he would be in power during the sex <laughs> and well, he loves power I think- it's weird, though, because I think it's, like, either way you look at it, I mean, that's fair enough, and I don't want to get into too much, like, oh, it's not canon, because there are plenty of people very willing to argue that, yes, it is canon-compliant, mm. that's fine. But I think for me, it's, like, either he did it with the specific aim of having a child, which he would never do, because he was so self-obsessed and wanted to live forever, so the idea of having an heir just seems totally like that's that's not something Voldemort would do, someone who could potentially rival his power, no way. Uh. Or he did it for quote-unquote pleasure, which also, in my opinion, I agree with Soprano Swag, which is like an amazing name, by the way, um, that I don't think that that is something that Voldemort, as we knew him in the books, would have any interest in. The physical, a physical pleasure, or in a moment of quote-unquote losing control, or whatever you want to say, like it's just not something that is congruous with with Voldemort as as we know him in my opinion. Yeah, no, I think you're right. Hmm. 
And I was also waiting for the two Slytherins to be a couple. I'm still hoping that J.K. Rowling has something to say about this. She's been very quiet since (laughs) the book came out. And I think I speculated on the last episode that this just proves to me that she just doesn't care what people think of the script book. Because that's not (laughs) how it's intended to be consumed. She realizes she had to release the script book. Mm -hmm. She doesn't love the idea that she had to. And, and so I understand she's why, not going to address it. Yeah, It doesn't read well when you haven't seen the play. Exactly. To some people it did, to be fair. Some people really liked the book. And my, I've noticed that older generations have liked it more than people, say, my age. And I think the Does reason why something... is, is like okay, people who are parents. If you're a parent, you can understand this story more, I think. I have noticed that the people who are more movie fans like this more than people who are book fans because it is like it it's it more it's more compliant with the tone of the films and the level of detail of the films than it is with the with the books. Mm. Hmm. I find that interesting. Um, interesting, yeah. And I'm good to believe it. I don't know. I, I I don't like the idea that Joe would have written something that's over our heads. You know, the original fans. Uh, yeah. If it's the case that the parenting is somehow means more to an actual parent i yeah i mean i think that's fair but i don't know i just think joe was always great at explaining uh adult concepts very well to children in the seven books so i i hate to think that we were sort of left out uh and that that was not properly conveyed to us that we would get less out of a book it's also not not the parenting thing that we don't that we don't appreciate it's the dumbing down of of things that were made so yeah so rich in the books you know exactly if if you come in putting this up co- holding this up to the original series you just can't do that um and to be fair the marketing kind of misled people uh, the barnes and noble i keep bringing this up they, they, they had signs right at the front of the stores harry potter is back the eighth story <laughs> yeah. Like well, you're all assuming fairness, it's a new Harry Potter book. The, the back cover of the book says the eighth story, nineteen years later. Mm. So yeah. I think that th- there, there's misdirection there as well. You know. Yeah. It's, so anyway, um, I do like what Chuck Topping tweeted in though. Also a great uh, Twitter handle said, "Will we get a book to find out that Delphi is Scorpius's godmother and the real cursed child is Arnold the Pygmy Puff?" <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes. Uh, but that Who's the be, cursed child, guys? Uh, yeah. Who is it? It's multiple people. Yeah, it is multiple people. It's Albus it's, uh, for not living up to his it father. It is not. For not. Yeah, it is Albus for not being able to live up to his father. He's one of them, for sure. Uh, it's also Delphi. Um, Absolutely. She's, she's cursed in many ways. Uh, yeah. I don't subscribe to being multiple people because I think what? that's a cop-out. Like, there's one cursed child. Okay, well, then child. you tell there's me no. You tell me who's on the front well, of the book. Who's in the nest? On it's the fr- Delphi. That is, Delphi is on the front totally of the book. It's totally a boy. No, it's her wings. It's a boy. No, 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 no. The wings in the nest, it's an augury, augury, augury nest. There's a boy in it's that Delphi. nest. It's Delphi. Yeah, I know. It's Albus. But he's in He's in her nest. It's her. She's the wings. No, but but that but that means both of them are cursed. This they, no, they it's not like the the cursed child has to be in the like that's the only person. Isn't on the it cover. a snitch? <laughs> I thought it was no. A snitch. It's the, it's archery wings and a nest. Yeah, she wears those exact wings on stage. Uh-huh. So I Ooh. think it's. I mean, I think it's Delphi is the cursed child for sure. I was writing an article about it and I convinced myself that it was actually Cedric. 
Like you can read that on Hyperbole if you want to read my crazy way of getting to that conclusion. He's the cursed child. He was literally cursed with death and he never grew up. So he's a child forever. And and being ridiculed. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Selena, the voice of reason. (laughs) It's Cedric. Yeah, no, but I don't don't think it's multiple people. I think think that's a cop I think it's very JK Rowling for it to have multiple meanings. No. Yeah. What other title of a book has referred to multiple people? I'm not or saying titles, I think that's but I'm just saying Joe cool. in general. Has... Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sure they were all cursed. That's true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, the <laughs> Order of the Phoenix, whatever. that's multiple people. <laughs> that's true, but that's it is too, one that's order too literal, of one I'm phoenix. <laughs> uh, DH fan also wrote in, we answered their question earlier, but continued to say, while reading the play, it felt like the writers had a strong few moments that were strung together to make a clumsy story. And what was with Dumbledore? It seemed like the writers were trying too hard to get emotional reactions. It fell flat. Yeah. Kieran writes all in the acting. Kieran writes in, always had a hard time imagining Voldy doing normal things like eating, sleeping, peeing, etc. Having to add sex to that list. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Vernon writes in, my issue with it is how powerful Delphi is. She beat the crap out of an adult Ministry of Magic Harry. Your thoughts? Um, Mary Sue. It, it is Harry Potter, after all, though. He probably isn't doing his homework. <laughs> he probably didn't take one self-defense lesson after defeating Voldemort, because he's like, what's the point? I got the biggest baddie. Uh, I don't need to protect myself or the world that I live in now. That's mm. how I feel. True. Uh, well, and... and um. Delphi says in the book, in part two, that she's been watching Harry for a while. So she she learned his strengths and weaknesses, I guess, is what we're supposed to believe. That's also pretty cool. I like That goes to what I was saying about the unexplained Delphi backstory, where you know she presumably was able to watch Harry closely without him knowing it, um, mm-hmm. probably years before she showed up in his house as the niece of Amos. Mm. So, and we all know that Harry is not like. I mean, his secret weapons are love and his friends, and that's what saved him this time too. So it makes sense. By the way, yeah. uh, so this poll, we so uh, Selena mentioned her. Who is the cursed child? Article. We put a poll at the bottom of it. Forty percent say it's Delphi Riddle, and only yep. Delphi Riddle. Woo. But twenty percent, the second most popular selection, said it's all of them, and the play should have been called Cursed Children. <laughs> there you go. I would give it away. Well, it's too it's too easy. I mean, ugh, it's it's and, it's too easy to say mm, all of them. I think it's Delphi. For it's sure. not all of them. It's just both of them. It's just Delphi right. and Albus. That's all it is. It's both of them. And in third place is Albus Potter Potter with seventeen percent of the vote. So yeah, how much does Craig get? Seven percent. That's <laughs> a pretty good. That, he's in third. Well, he was literally Delphi the cursed child. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Craig was cursed with death. Mm-hmm. I just Mike's love that you included Craig at in this point. <laughs> he should I get mean... some some love, right? I mean, exactly. He was my favorite yeah. character. He doesn't have any parents. He's such a one layered person. They'll probably just leave him on the Quidditch pitch and bury no. him there. Mm. No, I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, Maddie J tweeted in to say Voldemort is right there. Just kill him. Save your parents, Cedric Jorkins, old man, Sirius Riddle, family, Dumbledore, Dobby Snape, Fred, possibly Lavender Brown. I don't know everyone. Yeah, no, but you can't do that. He had the you Horcruxes already, though. Again, yeah, yeah, and it takes yeah, out the whole the whole epic story in the original series, so we couldn't do that. You can't kill him because you have to find the Horcruxes before you can kill him. 
That's yeah. true. And finally, Christina Vorkos, who tweeted in definitely more than 140 characters, but uh, a very strong uh, proponent of The Cursed Child, said the second part was even stronger than the first. It made more sense where the story was going. I absolutely liked how it ended. The story was about the importance of friendship and family, similar to what Selena just said. Ultimately, love, always. Uh, that's what matters at the end. We see growth in the characters and the relationships from friendship, father and son, and with the couples, Harry and Ginny and Ron and Hermione, I think Delphi, Without love was made to believe that she was the daughter of Voldemort. She wanted to escape being an orphan. Delphi is the cursed child. (laughs) So there you go. Uh, She is the one in the design. Her upbringing and the rumors were designed to bring Voldemort back. Delphi's first name was foreshadowing to her character that she was untrustworthy and believed in prophecies, uh, referring to Delphi Grease. Uh, The second time I read the script, it was even better than the first time. I could really understand where the story was going. I mean, the thing, the interesting thing here is that she's kind of suggesting that Delphi wasn't really the child of Voldemort, which was actually something I was saying as well, that if that had been the case, I would have really liked that part of the story. Because I love the idea of, of Delphi being this messed up, like crazy girl who had been made to believe that she was the daughter of Voldemort for some like evil Death Eater plot, you know. But I think the play made it very clear that she is, she's actually the real daughter of Voldemort um, which I thought was a shame because it would have been more powerful if she hadn't been mm. I liked part so- two more too um, as evidenced by the fact that I think we had a deeper discussion here on MuggleCast today than we did with part one um, it was just there was it, a lot it, more it, trashing in part one I think of, of the overall story right well, I think part one's the <laughs> hardest to get through act one is the hardest to get through like because it, it shakes things up so vibrantly and then you know, the rest of the play is just sort of a falling action from all of the... It's like the dust settling, in a way. Yeah. I love the family stuff. I wish the entire play had been family stuff. Without the time travel and Voldemort's daughter, I think it would have been very powerful. I agree. Mm. Um, I agree with that. So that does it for this week's episode of MuggleCast. Thank you, everybody, for joining us on Patreon this week. We're going to have more... Because guess what? We've been talking about Cursed Child so much that we haven't been, had time to talk about the news. And there's been a lot of news. Lots of news. New Three new Harry Potter books are coming out next month. Did you guys hear? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> three yep. new Harry... Uh, J.K. Rowling Brand lied. Nine, ten, and eleven. Yeah. <laughs> yep. J.K. Rowling lied when she said she was done with Harry. At least that's well, what I read on E! She's Online. done with Harry. Pottermore isn't done with Harry. Nobody else who can make money off Harry is done with Harry. So we're going to talk about these new Harry Potter books. According to Time, <laughs> Time Magazine told me new Harry Potter books. Very excited. Uh, and then there's been some Fantastic Beasts news to talk about, including a new type of legilimens in Fantastic Beasts. Mm-hmm. Also, apparently there's much more on the horizon from J.K. Rowling's Wizarding World. This is what WB said the other day. And a Harry Potter character will have a significant role in Fantastic Beasts 2. Someone's coming back. We're going to discuss all these things. It's Craig. On bonus <laughs> MuggleCast on Patreon coming out very shortly after two ninety nine. So we'd love if you support us if you haven't already. Patreon.com slash MuggleCast. We're actually on our way to returning to weekly episodes of MuggleCast. We may get there. And boy, we're going to have to think of some stuff to talk about if we hit weekly MuggleCast. <laughs> I'm actually rereading the books right mm. now. Well, there looks to be plenty. We could have done two shows. Uh, you know, as we joked about the fact earlier, we could have we could probably have done a, a, an episode per act of this 
of this play just because there's so much to talk about. Let's do scene by scene. I would, be, I would just be. I would just get so upset. <laughs> page by page. <laughs> Eric right. wouldn't last through it. No. <laughs> and then t-shirts, right? They're coming. Yeah, so for those of you who are patrons, uh, it's too late to get a MuggleCast t-shirt, but if you were, if, if you pledged already, um, if you were signed up by August 1st, you are getting one. We ordered the t-shirts. They are coming to my house within the next week or so, and then they're going to start going out. Hook. And they look great. We got some samples. They look awesome. And we can't wait for everybody to get theirs. Uh, but also on Patreon, if you do support us, you will receive signed album art. No matter when you sign up, you will receive that, plus tons of bonus MuggleCast installments. We're doing our book readings, doing a whole lot more over on there. Eric I, did a blog recently. A blog, yeah, I, oh, excuse me. Yeah, I want to thank the two people, the two listeners who sent in birthday cards uh, for us at the MuggleCast P.O. Box, which I'll give you the address again. It's 4044 North Lincoln Avenue, Box 144, Chicago IL 60618. Uh, we got uh, some cards for our 11th birthday and some candy, but I ate the candy. Sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, there's a, it video, poisoned. there's a video of me Delphi opening it. Send it. Yeah, there's a video of me opening it uh, on uh, Patreon. So thank you to Sonia and Amanda for their gifts and their kind words. Great. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. And we will see you next time for our Mega Muggle Cast episode 300. Wow. Selena, thanks for joining us. Thanks. Thanks for having me. We this should plug. We should plug hype podcasts that you do. Oh over yes, on Hypeable. please do. Hype actually did. Um, hype podcast did some Cursed Child specials as well recently. Awesome. Um, if you want even more discussion by not just me but other hype hosts. As a matter yeah, of fact, I was on one of them. <laughs> you well, you were. You're I was right. I wasn't one. on that one. Um, so you can hear Eric too. And that's uh, over on Hypable.com in the podcast section. We also talk about all the latest entertainment news. Yeah. Every week. It's a great show. Thank you. Thanks, everybody, He's for not listening. not on anymore. No, it, I'm not, but I will happily come back if you invite <laughs> me. I'm a little okay, hurt that Eric got invited over me. But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and Mike Kyle. is hurt that he's just never been invited at all. Oh, my God. We have to have it. Mike <laughs> All right, we'll see everybody next time for episode 300. Goodbye. Bye. 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 Bye.